Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Fellow Falcoholics, what is up? Welcome to episode 276 of the Falcoholic Live. I'm your host, Kevin Knight, joined here by the man himself. He's Will McFadden at Will McFadden on the X, Twitter, whatever you want to call it. Host of Believe in Falcons and fellow contributor over at the Falcoholic. Well, it's it's been a minute since we've had you on. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing well, Kevin. Yeah, we've got a lot to to catch up on, but it's it's always a pleasure to to come on this show and and chat football with you because, as you know, I mean, you're you're one of my favorite people to talk about the Falcons with, and and I respect the hell out of your opinions, man. So excited to be here. Good. Well, the feeling is mutual. I always enjoy our conversations as well, and you know, fortunately, unfortunately, depending on probably who you are, uh, the Falcons <laughs> are are very interesting, and they they do certainly have. Uh, quite a bit to talk about, obviously, with the new coaching staff coming in. Uh, an eventful coaching search that definitely ruffled some some feathers, it seems like. Yeah. And uh, sort of a, a candidate choice that I think, to me, like didn't really make a lot of sense that people were very upset about it. But, you know, people will get upset about anything uh, with this team. And, you know, in some ways you can't blame them. It's been a frustrating team. But uh, we're, we're coming up on what's probably going to be a spicy off season, maybe the spiciest we've seen in, in quite some time. And uh, we're going to, we're going to talk about tonight, folks. We're going to, you know, this sort of the topic is how aggressive is this team going to be? Uh, you know, probably pretty aggressive, but what does that mean? What does that look like? Is it aggressive for a quarterback or edge rushers or what are we doing here? So Will and I are going to get into that. We're going to talk about, of course, get Will's thoughts on sort of the, the reshaping of the coaching staff and, and the kickoff to the off season and free agency in the draft and all that good stuff before, we dive in real quick. Want to bring you guys a word from tonight's sponsor, BetOnline.ag. Folks, BetOnline continues to be your number one source for all your basketball wagering needs, including pro and college hoops throughout the year. With up-to-the-minute odds, stats, and trends, you can follow your favorite team's path to the playoffs with in-game live betting contests and all the best player props. <coughs> Excuse me experience well those props are too spicy they're, they're getting me but uh, <laughs> experience the world's best wagering platform anytime from your desktop and now your mobile devices and yeah i mean uh last week i had eric on to to help me pinch it with the basketball props that he liked uh so i i can't really you know weigh too much in on, on the basketball stuff but um you know it seems like the hawks pretty much every game uh it, it could be one way or the other so, you know, there's probably money to be made on the Hawks. I just don't know which way you bet. And maybe if you just flip a coin, that's the best way. Uh, that's probably the fairest way to determine that. So, uh, But no matter what you want to bet on, guys, head to Bet Online today to become part of the team. Just remember to use our promo code BELIEVE. That's B-L-E-A-V for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, the game starts here. All right. Well, Will, before we dive into the offseason, let's talk about the new coaching staff. It is Raheem Morris coming in. Uh, and I liked the hire. He was in my top three. He wasn't number one or number two necessarily, but a guy that I liked, um, and a guy that I think is a good hire, but I'm curious, uh, your thoughts on the decision to go with Raheem Morris here to, to usher in a, a new era in Atlanta. I like it as well. I'm obviously biased. Uh, my time working for the organization from 2017 through the 2020 season obviously overlapped with uh with Raheem's time there and he was the interim coach at the end of that uh 2020 season so spent a lot of time over zoom talking with him so I like I am totally 
uh, partial when it comes to this decision. However, when they were going about it initially, right? And I, I think that early on, I was very sold on the idea that the decision to move on from Arthur Smith had a little bit more to do with going big game hunting and kind of a coaching class that was available that was kind of unlike anything that is typically out there on the market, right? The best candidate in most years is kind of a young up and coming coordinator. And, you know, Ben Johnson, Bobby Slovic, those guys, they seemed like guys five, six, and seven on kind of this list, right? Brian Callahan, like these guys in any other year would, would be one, two, and three. And so that was kind of the reason I felt the Falcons made this decision. And, and that made a lot of sense to me. If you're going after a Bill Belichick or when Mike Vrabel became available, that was a big uh, kind of name that I was interested in as well. Jim Harbaugh, of course, but in the back of my mind, Raheem Morris was always lingering. And I felt that if the Falcons at any point gave him an interview, not even necessarily like an in-person interview, just an interview that that to me would indicate, okay, he is a serious contender for this job because what else would they need to know about Raheem Morris, right? He spent basically half a decade in that building and they already would have known everything they needed to know. Arthur Blank has worked with him in a head coaching capacity when he was the interim head coach. So the fact that he got the interview, I was like, all right, they are serious with Raheem Morris. So at that time, I started looking a little bit more into Raheem Morris. And there is a lot to like here, guys. Like he has worked with the current meta of the NFL right now, pretty much his entire career from the origin point back in Washington, when everybody was in that freaking yearbook team photo <laughs> of like, who's who in the NFL right now? Like Raheem Morris was the defensive guy in that room. And so I think it makes a lot of sense. The other component from a Falcons perspective and from Arthur Blank's perspective, I believe, was when they went through this process three years ago, they did a big, hard kind of audit of everything. They, Everybody they brought in, they wanted to get kind of their outside perspective of how are we doing things? What is the What are people around the league saying about the Falcons, right? And they were very intentional about putting this plan in place that they are now three years in on. And the quarterback position went disastrously. It did not work out. But you heard Rich McKay say himself at the end of the press con or at the uh, end of the season press conference, they like the direction they're heading. This is not a true course correction. We're bringing in Kirby Smart here to kind of <laughs> reorient the ship away from the tail end of the market. Like, no, this is we want somebody to kind of come in and replace the pilot and keep this plane flying on its way to Hawaii. And that is where he morphed me. If you brought in Bill Belichick, he would have torn it all down. He would have, we know what he would have done and that may have worked, but if it didn't, you're not Tampa Bay post Tom Brady. You're I like, I don't even know what the right comparison is there. Right, you know, is right. it, is it Peyton Manning leaving the Colts and Tony Dungy going at the same time? And then you have that one disaster, but like for a decade, who knows? That's kind of what I think the calculus was. And it seems like they're very excited about Raheem Morris working with Terry Fontenot. I'm kind of excited about the defensive staff that he's put together, even though I really like Brian Nielsen. So yeah, I think by and large, it is a move that makes a lot of sense. Whether or not it is a good move, you know, I think that's something I'm trying to get away from. And maybe that's going to be bad for my career as a hot take artist. I don't know right now if it's a good move. 
we have not, it's not panned out. I don't know. I think it makes sense. And that's all I care about is I can see what the vision is. And I believe in that vision. Yeah, I agree. I, I like, I like to hire it. There, there were a lot of pitfalls in this hiring search. And I think Bill Belichick would have been one of them. And, you know, how serious were the Falcons about hiring Belichick? Obviously reports vary. I tend to think it was very serious and that it, the, the ship was steered away from the iceberg at the last moment and we didn't have to witness the Titanic. But um, I, I like Raheem and, and I, I, I think that, I think the chances of him being a bad hire are low. Um, and like uh, people really were down on the hire. I think people were hoping for a splash. And, and when you, when you, when you've yeah. got Bill Belichick in the conversation and you've got guys like Ben Johnson and Bobby Slowick who, you know, I think Bobby Slowick, as much as I liked him and he was my top choice, it, very risky hire. First year offensive Big coordinator. Joe Brady vibes from um, the first yeah. time around. Yeah, exactly. And like I, I was willing to roll the dice. I liked what we've seen from him. The Shanahan tree has been very successful. All these things you could list out and you could go back and watch the, the episode where we went in depth on the, the coaching candidates and, and get a better idea of, of why I liked that, why I liked him as a, a top candidate. But there was risk there. There were risks with all these guys. And I think with Belichick, the risk was the most pronounced because it's like, well, this is an exploding coach. And, and in three years, you know, this team is exploding. Um, so do you really want to sign up for that? Like, do you want to, do you want to blow it up at, no matter what in a couple of years? And I'm glad they didn't. I think that would have been a mistake and it would have, it would have set an artificial timeline that you don't need to set. Like the timelines in the NFL are tight enough without the pressure of like, well, this guy's going to retire in a couple of years and leave you stranded because Guess what? There's not really any successor in waiting for Belichick and, and Josh McDaniels was the guy and that didn't work out clearly. So um, I I like Raheem. I think th the biggest thing with Raheem, it, it's in some ways similar to Dan Quinn in that he is just a guy that you want to go to battle with, like everyone, universally mm -hmm. loved by players, coaches, everyone. Unlike Dan Quinn, though, Raheem has been around the block a lot longer. He's been in the NFL for an absurd amount of time, honestly. Like, you know, he you look at him being a previous head coach, and everyone likes to use that as a negative, but it was like, this dude was a head coach like seven, like 15 years ago. And he was like yeah. 30. He was like 31 <laughs> years old. It was ridiculous. Right. Like, and, and he's been this whole time growing and continuing to thrive in the NFL and, and working towards another opportunity. And I love the way he sort of, talked about it in his press conference, which was, you know, oh, for me, I never like worried about getting another opportunity. I, my concern was, okay, I'm going to be ready. You know, I just need to be ready for the opportunity when it comes. He wasn't, yeah. you know, he was like, yeah, I knew it was going to come. I knew if I kept working, it was going to happen. I just need to be ready for it. I love that confidence and, and to be an NFL head coach. It's one thing you got to have. Uh, well, there, have there was space. confidence <laughs> and there was humility. And yeah. that's kind of what he said was, look, after I got fired, a lot of people could say, man, that was my one and only shot. Right. And I was so young and and then you're kind of boohooing and feeling sorry for yourself. But he said that he took it upon himself to, to join up with, uh, you know, just these various different staffs that were loaded with other really good coaches. And he wanted to come in and just say, all right, what can I do for you? Like, how can I help? How can I be a part of this? Not coming in with an ego and saying, I'm a former head coach. Like we should do things my way. And the part that I, I love that you just brought up is everything that I really like about Raheem Morris as a head coaching candidate happened after he was a head coach the first time around. Like, so you're starting with a foundation 
of three years of head coaching success, one of which includes going to the playoffs with Josh Freeman as your quarterback for like the, it was like the first time that Tampa Bay had gone back to the playoffs since they were kind of in that dominant era that they were in. And Raheem Morris was the one that got them back to that point. And yeah, the other two years were not great. Honestly, like, I, I don't know if I would be shocked if the outcome here is something you know, like a Dan Quinn ish type of, where you've got really high highs and maybe if things take a turn, like that's maybe my question mark, but that could also be some residual lingering effect of that era where you're like, all right, you couldn't pull the, the plane out of the tailspin. But again, everything that he brings to the table, there's a strong foundation. He's worked with the, the current crop of what the league is and the league passed Dan Quinn by a little bit. And I don't think he found that counter pitch to what the league was doing and they figured it out very quickly. And, and that was kind of it. Raheem Morris has been around long enough. He's been with a few different schemes. They're, I believe going to run that Vic Fangio defense right now. So it is different from Dan Quinn's defense. So yes, I, I think he is going to prove to be a pretty good hire here. Yeah. And I agree. And, and I know you've done a lot of research on it. We'll definitely talk about some of the stuff you've learned, especially about the defensive side, because that's the side I think we, we know more about somehow than the offensive side. Um, but the other thing I wanted to say about Raheem, and, and I know you probably agree, is that the, the bonus of Raheem is that he has worked with so many different staffs and so many different coaches that he could probably put together an amazing assistant coach staff. And I think that was the weakness, one of the weaknesses we saw with Dan Quinn and then with Arthur Smith is that the list of coaches that they knew wasn't overly big. And Dan Quinn, to his credit, I think he assembled a tremendous coaching staff right I out agree. of the gate. Yep. But after those guys left, you could tell they didn't have, he didn't have the bench. He didn't have somebody else that he yeah. knew. And um, it was almost like the Falcons roster where you yeah. had these stars like a Raheem Morris, like a Kyle Shanahan, like a Jeff Ulbrich. I even put Sark in that category because I think I think in hindsight, like Underrated, his stretch run yeah. looks a Underrated. little bit better yeah. than what they had with Dirk Cutter afterwards. Or, uh, you know, yeah. so, <laughs> you know, he had these guys, but then you would have the random like, I don't know, offensive line coach, not really like just the little different parts. You either had excellent or, you know, maybe it wasn't up to snuff. Sorry to, to derail you there, but I totally no, agree. No, I agree. And, and so I I think with with Morris you know, one of the big negatives is that he is a defensive guy. He's not going to call the defense, but he's not your play caller. So you do risk, of course, if things go well, that you're going to lose your offensive play caller. But I think with Morris, he has a, a deeper bench to go to of guys that he might be interested in hiring if after Zach Robinson in a few years. Or, you know, the ultimate ideal, of course, is that you promote from within. You know, you, you develop these guys and maybe it'll be TJ Yates getting that opportunity now that he's coaching quarterbacks, which, you know, makes sense to me considering he is a quarterback, but what do I know? <laughs> um, you know, so I, I do think that's a big plus of Raheem as well as, is the relationships that he has and, and the deep roster of coaches that he can assemble. And, you know, I know Zach Robinson was the, one of the hottest offensive coordinator names out there. And he was basically like, yeah, if, if Raheem got a job, I was going to go with him. No question. Um, and that, that should give you a lot of confidence and that, you know, I, I like it. I, I like the staff they've assembled. I know Zach Robinson's not controversial at all. I think everyone's excited to see what he can do uh, in terms of, of his offense. And we honestly don't know too much about what it'll look like. It's probably going to resemble 
the Rams, but how closely is the question? The one that the one that is the big question is Jimmy Lake. And I don't share the same like negativity around this hire that some do that maybe led to me getting blocked by some of these people that are very negative against the hire. Oh, wow. Yeah. I was blocked by D led. Uh, I don't know why. Oh uh, no. <laughs> so, D led. Let my man out. Yeah. Yeah. D led. Uh, talk, come talk to me, bud. I don't know. I don't know what happened. <laughs> and I don't know if he fat, like fat fingered it or something while he was t- tweeting. I mean, I've, I've Possible. done that before by Possible. accident. You've accidentally muted people or whatever, but um, we'll, we'll have to clear it up at training camp, but come back to us. D led. But uh, <laughs> what do you think about, about Jimmy Lake. Um, and, you know, it is one of the more interesting hires, I would say, of of Raheem's early tenure. So I know you've looked into it a little bit. So I'm curious your thoughts on, on that hire. Yeah, and again, I think it comes back to that feeling of knowing how good Raheem is making relationships, knowing kind of where he's coming from in the fact that the Rams and the 49ers and, you know, various like the hot NFL offenses right now seem to be coaching factories and maybe the Rams are number one on that list where it just kind of seems like every two or three years, you've got the next guy who's kind of coming almost like Alabama at the college level where you do good for two years in LA and then, all right, you can be a head coach at the next spot that's opening up. And so Raheem Morris being able to, again, be in that kind of incubator with a lot of the top young coaching minds because those are the types of coaches I think that would be attracted to a place like Los Angeles where you do have a lot of creative flexibility and you've got an organization that likes to throw a lot of stuff against the wall and almost buck a lot of these older NFL trends and you know ways of thinking if if he is able to pull guys from that kind of philosophy which he did I trust him on that And so that's why even though Jimmy Lake and Zach Robinson aren't necessarily well-known to most NFL fans, they weren't even that well-known to me when the news was made, I think you default to trusting Raheem Morris's judgment on this. And yeah, until he has proven that his judgment is not trustworthy, you kind of just got to fall one way or the other. Either they're not the biggest name and you didn't know of them coming in. And so therefore you hate the hire just like you hate the draft pick that wasn't clearly mocked to your team for four straight weeks ahead of it. If it's just not that name, you're going to be like, who is this bum? That's kind of the way I think a lot of fans sometimes naturally react is, okay, it's not the guy that I know. So maybe he's not going to be good. Jimmy Lake though comes from, again, when Raheem Morris came to LA to replace Brandon Staley, Brandon Staley is a Vic Fangio disciple. And Sean McVay asked uh, Raheem Morris to pop right in there and run that defense, which is, again, very different than that defense that the Dan Quinn ran, that cover three. It's some of the same principles, but but not really. I mean, it's single high versus two high. Yeah. The thing that is similar, I think, is that aggressive nature, that kind of simplistic mindset. But really, the main difference is the Vic Fangio defense is almost a layer of simplicity that is covering the whole iceberg underneath the surface that is going to be yeah. very complex. Dan Quinn's defense was simplicity to be simple so that the defenders could really read and react and didn't have all of these different interchanging moving parts. They wanted athletes and they wanted instincts. 
this defense is going to show you one thing. And then at the last second, when the ball snaps, we're going to rotate. We're going to do four different things. Still only going to bring four guys. Still going to be cover happy. And we're still going to try to make you dink and dunk your way down the field. It's just that in the process of dink and dunking, where you think you're going to dink, we're going to be blitzing and you're not necessarily going to have the time to then dunk over here. And I like that. I think it meshes with Raheem Morris's personality. I think it meshes with the skill set of the the roster in place right now and the coaching staff in place. This secondary should be amazing this upcoming season, given all of the resources and knowledge in that room, given the talent of AJ Terrell, Jesse Bates. I expect Marco Hellams in year two to take a step forward. Clark Phillips in year two, take a step forward. D. Alford was a nice surprise. I wouldn't be shocked if they go pretty early in the draft at cornerback to solidify that number two spot. So having a defense that utilizes smart players on the back end for a lot of those rotations, you're going to see a lot of cover six. You're going to see a lot of cover four. You're going to see some robber mixed in. That is where I think it allows them to almost focus a little bit more on the defensive front in free agency and bring in the guys that can do that job really well. And then they almost focus on the back end. That's what I expect. I, I think you're going to see some really well-timed pressures, not necessarily blitzes. But Jimmy Lake, I think the wrinkle he'll bring to this is at Washington, what you saw is when offenses didn't, not just in the red zone, right? Not the high red zone, the 20 to the 10, but kind of that low red zone, the 10 in, when really the field is condensed, he likes to bring pressure in yeah. that area. Five, six guys jam the receivers at the line of scrimmage make the quarterback make a very tough decision. That's where I think you could see the Jimmy Lake element come in is just well-timed aggression and they pick and choose their spots, not unlike what Ryan Nielsen did at times. So from that you know, standpoint, I it'll be a different looking defense, but the results, you know, it may feel similar if, if everything goes to plan. But I, I kind of think that that is what you're going to see defensively here in Atlanta, at least in the short term. Yeah, I, I, I love it. I think it has a great explanation of it. And, you know, I definitely have to do more work on the Vic Fangio defense because it's honestly, they it's interesting. do a lot of coverage stuff on the back end that it's kind of baffling. And I know there's a couple of accounts on Twitter. I think it's like Honest NFL is one that, that talks a lot about the Vic Fangio defense. And it's like, you know, there's a lot of coverage rotation. There's a lot of disguising. and But the front is actually pretty simple, the way they play up front. So it's kind of a, a mix of different things. And, and I like that. But, you know, you look at the, the the staff they've assembled in the secondary with all these guys. And, um, you know, you have to think that that group, they're going to be leaning on the coaching in that mm-hmm. group more than probably any other on defense that they're hoping to coach up maybe the guys that they have. And, um, you know, I don't, it's not like they're not going to add anything there. I mean, I think there's, there's clearly some, some needs in the secondary still, but the secondary, I think they're going to lean on the coaching there to, to, to get that group right. Because they kind of have to spend big on the defensive front. That is the part where, (laughs) where we have issues and not necessarily the interior so much, you know, I think with, you know, with Grady and, and with David on you've got, two out of three pieces that you need there for that three, four front. But, mm-hmm. you know, a nose tackle, you don't necessarily have to break the bank to get a nose tackle. If you want, if you want Vita Vea, you do, <laughs> but you know, if you want someone like that, which obviously everybody wants that, but how realistic is it? You know, that that's a question obviously for, for the drafted free agency. But, you know, I, I do think that it's going to be really interesting to see how that defense takes shape. And, and uh, I, I think honestly, a lot of people were like, well, why didn't they promote Jerry Gray? 
you know, he's the one that's got the experience, you know, isn't that insulting to, to Gray? And I don't, I don't think so. I mean, Gray not if it was Green Morris's call. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, not, not right. Like, he probably could have left if, if maybe a yeah. defensive coordinator opened. But again, like, you know, that's, that's not how things work, right? Yeah. That's just plain and simple. When you hire a new head coach, the head coach is usually going to have a lot of hiring power. It's not for the owner. It's not for the GM to sit here and say, well, you can come here, but like, we're also going to promote our guy to, it's just, yeah, again, that that's not how it works. But I will say for anybody more, a little more interested in learning about this uh, kind of defense. And again, I, I don't know for sure if it's going to be a one-to-one, but right. the roots of this defense, I do believe are going to be based a little bit more in the Vic Bangio model. There is a really, really good, um, I, I don't know if it's a sub-stack, sub if it's a newsletter, it's just an article, but it's called The Book of Fangio, uh, written by Sean Syed. It was published on January 11th of last year, um, and it's the article, or the site, I guess, is called The Read Optional, but go just Google that. It's nice and long and meaty, and it has really, really good stuff on the uh, Vic Fangio defense, and that's kind of where I learned a lot about what I was talking about for this conversation. So again, it's yeah, called yeah. the uh, the book of Fangio and it is on the read optional. So there's a nice plug for Sean, who I don't even know and is Absolutely. not paying me to do this. So no, that's how you know it's good. Yeah, we're not even yeah. being paid for that plug. So, uh, but yeah, that I will definitely look into that. And I, I recommend you guys do as well because I think that is a good place to start. And and again, yeah. like it's not going to be a copy. And I, and I know um nico mentions in the chat isn't you know raheem very much based on the pragmatism and making the best of what he has and adapting and yes but yes. i also think that's part of the reason they're going back to that three four look because even though we did see ryan nielsen start to get some pieces for the four three a lot of the picks for this roster as it's currently constructed were three four based picks like arnold abacady it he was not long for this this defense in that four three scheme it just wasn't working out well for him there as anything other than a pure like designated pass rusher d'angelo malone was basically relegated to special teams only those two guys now that we're going back to that three four style have a serious chance to actually take on significant roles and and that makes yeah. me happy because i thought what we saw from malone in his rookie season was promising enough to potentially see if he could develop um and you know ebicady as well uh so I think those two guys will certainly be happy with the with the return to more of the stand up style pass rush, and um, I do think that you know that there's a lot of good three four style edge rushers in this draft. I think it, that group is a little bit deeper than the four three guys. Like I think you could get guys like Braylon Trice and, and Jonah Ellis on day two that that are really yeah. Good I was gonna say I think that. yeah. I think the top end guys are a little more of the four three Bruce, right. Your Dallas Turner's yeah. like those guys. Yeah, yeah. Chop Robinson like they, although maybe he's that kind of tweener off the, yeah. the edge hybrid. But I worry about or I wonder about a player not worry um, about Zach, like Zach Harrison. You know somebody who. I think he probably is at his best with his hand in the dirt in that 4-3 end roll. And I really liked the way that he came on last season. I, I think he's going to be a pretty nice player in this league. Um, maybe, you know, probably not like a 13-sack-a-year star. But if if he can develop into like a 6.5 to 8.5-sack guy, like he can have a long 9-10 year career in the NFL doing that. Um, so, I, like, I would like to see his development continue. That being said, yeah, we're we're pretty much just one full year removed from the Dean Pease defense, which was more geared to a three-four base. But the big kind of caveat to all of this is that 
and it's it's in that that piece that I just mentioned if if people want to go read it. But even the the three four can be a little bit of a misnomer because yeah. it a lot of times is going to look like a four three under where you've got that three technique shaded away from the the strong side, and that allows you to almost kind of like make your front one way or the other based on what the offense is doing. So it's going to be intricate. It's going to be, but the body types that you are looking for in the interior of that defensive line, as you were mentioning, are going to be bigger. They're going to be beefier. And that's why I do think they're set up nicely with David Onyemata and Grady Jarrett as almost your, your kind of like five technique, big ends. And then if you can just go find a big, like just big beefy nose tackle there in the middle, and you could find one of those guys in the third round of the draft or go get somebody in free agency. Like, so yeah, the, the, the big key for me though, is I like, I think that they need to go find that big edge rusher, like not a big edge rusher, a big name edge rush. Like they need a like focal point of this edge rushing group, because I think last year they got by with not smoke and mirrors, but definitely some, some tricks. And you're going to rely on that a little bit in this defense as well with the disguising of things, but they also need somebody off the edge that is going to scare teams. And and I don't know if that comes from free agency or from the draft. What do you think about that? I mean, what would be your preference, Kevin? Go get an established guy like a Danelle Hunter here on a two-year deal and see what happens. Or would you be, you know, totally on board with getting a Braylon Trice in the second round and, and hoping that he develops the way that you expect him to? Yeah, I think it has to. I think it has to be both, and I think this is one of the spots that we're gonna see the aggressiveness play out this off season of this team. I, you know, and me personally, I, I think this is gonna be a very aggressive off season. I think they're done with the rebuild, the slow, methodical rebuild stuff. I think, I think that they all feel like okay, we we can't like do this again. We we've had our time to. They should feel that way. Yeah, they should feel that way. Yes. <laughs> Um, but I think it's actually going to materialize. And, and I think that one of the places we're going to see that, I think there's three spots mainly. One of them is, is edge. And, and I would not be surprised. I think if, if any of these top guys breaks free, the Falcons are going to be in the mix for them. Um, you know, whether that's Daniel Hunter or, you Burns know, Burns or Josh Allen, yeah, Burns, yeah. although it seems like Burns is going to get tagged, you know, we'll see right. what happens there. The but, top, top guys, it feels, yeah, yeah like they're going to get tagged. I, that's yeah, like exactly. I keep coming back to like Jonathan Greenard or Zadarius okay. Smith or like that level of guy is probably who you're going to see available. Danelle Hunter might be the biggest name of the bunch. You know who I one, love? Yeah, that I think is the best chance. Yeah. Yeah. You know who I love, though, in the draft? Um, and I, we haven't said his name yet, but it's not going to be a spot where I think eight is too rich for this. And if the Falcons move back and it's like not for a quarterback, assuming they don't address that in free agency, I think people will riot. (laughs) Um, But Jared Verse, I think Jared Verse would be awesome in a scheme like this. Man, like he is one of my favorite players, I think, in this draft. And I I keep I keep just mocking him to like Minnesota because I just (laughs) I think I just picture Minnesota pass rushers. And I'm like, man, he would look really good in just that purple and white. But that would work here, too. Like he's kind of that balanced player. Um, what do you what do you think of the edge rushers in this class, the like first round guys? It's a good class. Um, I mean, yeah, the guy that I've drafted to the Falcons so far was Jared Burns at eight. Um, so I, I feel like go. if they if they keep that first round pick, if they keep eight, I think it's going to be an edge rusher. Um, but you know, it it could also be a quarterback if if some craziness goes down. I tend to think that 
I tend to think that if they're drafting a quarterback, it's in a trade-up just because can they really afford to wait? I think I agree. Yeah. You know, um, and, and as much as nice as it would be, I don't think they could afford to wait. So if they've, they've got, if someone falls out of the top three that they want, they're probably going to make the necessary calls to get up for that guy. Because And that's the aggressiveness that you yes, were, is the exactly. theme of this offseason, right? It's like, don't wait for the fourth best guy. Like if, yeah. if you think you need to compete now and the pressure is on, go, like go get your guy. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So to me, you know, I love Jared verse. I, you know, I have him as edge one. I think the top, the, all the top three edge guys are very close, you know, doubt and they're just different. Like Dallas Turner, more raw, but the, he's got the prototype athleticism that you want. Like he, he's the one that was built in a lab to be an edge rusher. So, you know, not necessarily going to be a three down starter immediately, but he's, he's got the highest potential. You have Jared verse who I think is the safest, the the good mix of traits athleticism yep. technique all that I, I think he's the one yeah. that i would want because I, I think he is in between he's kind of in between latu who is just the i most freaking polished. love latu latu dude he is the most polished college pass rusher i think i've ever seen he's like, an mma fighter wrapped yes. in a rugby player like yeah. that he's he's, he's so yeah. polished but he's also like you could tell me that dude was from new zealand and like played on the rugby team his yeah. entire life, the way that he just competes and yeah. flies around. And like, I love lots. I think I texted you last, last, yeah. there were two guys that I watched who ended up not coming out in the draft last off season. They were Bo Nix and it was Latu or Liazzi yeah. Latu. And I was like, mm-hmm. Kevin, have you watched Latu's film yet? Like he is, we're sitting there talking about like Cameron Thomas from like San yeah. Diego, so like dudes who are going in the fourth round. And I was like, I think Latsu would be like a steal if we could get him in the second round. You're like, I don't know who this guy, but then that's just carried over to this yep. year. There you go. And I was yeah. the idiot who was just watching dudes who, who like a year early, like I'm Daniel Jeremiah, but yeah, I'm in scouting. love with yeah. Latsu's game. I think yeah. eight again is too rich. Like verse would be awesome at eight. The person I actually had going in my latest mock to the Falcons at eight was Terry and Arnold. I mean, oh, yeah, again, yeah. I think that if you could lock down that number two corner spot, I don't know if that's in, free agency or in the draft, but this corner class in the draft is also really, really good. And so I think that, you know, a top, a top edge rusher, a top corner, you could do way worse because those are premier positions. And I would expect one of those two positions, the number one guy to still be available at eight for you. What are your thoughts on going corner in the first round? Or do you not view number two corner as kind of that high of a need? I mean, like last year, I, I considered, I think I was mocking some corners. Witherspoon, yeah. Yep. Um, and so it hasn't changed necessarily in terms of the need, but I do think that cornerback two that high is more of a luxury for them. Um, the same way I feel about like one of the wide receivers there. Like it's it's very possible that Roma Dunze or Malik Neighbors is there at eight and they might be the best yeah. player available. Um, I just don't think they can. Like, I, I think they, they know like that that would not be popular. Could you imagine now, that's not a good a reason not to do and it? And being like, like, who's gonna throw him the ball though? Like yes, they got Drake exactly. and they got Kyle Pan, well, and they, you just yeah. see all the graphics, and it's just yeah. like a black like yeah. face silhouette at the quarterback position. Yeah. yeah. No, if if they're doing that, like if they're not taking a quarterback at eight or trading up for one, the quarterback is already on the roster going into the draft. Like, yeah, I agree. that's my firm belief, and and you know. The, the Justin Fields heat has increased to 150 degrees today. Uh. <laughs> That's so funny because today I became convinced it's going to be Kirk Cousins. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't Just, know why. 
Zigging some where divine, yeah. yeah, some divine thing like just struck me. And I was like, you know what? It's going to be Kirk Cousins. And the reason I believe this is because Kirk Cousins was drafted by that Redskins organization that Raheem Morris was a part of. Kirk Cousins' early success, the reason he became a player who was had a long career in the NFL was in Sean McVay's offense. Like, yeah. I think it's right there in front of us. And I, I don't, maybe it's, we're all just overthinking it because it's this time of year and that's what we do. But again, you, part of this is connecting dots. And part yeah. of this is saying, all right, well, who is in place? What are they going to be comfortable with? You have to make this decision in real life. So sure, it is fun to think about the possibility and the potential of, you know, a Justin Fields or trading up to get Jaden Daniels. But yet at some point, the rubber has to hit the road. And having seen Kirk Cousins already do the thing in the offense that you're pretty much porting over and do it at a high level on, oh, by the way, you just won a Super Bowl with Matthew Stafford a few years ago, who is pretty much in the Kirk Cousins camp. Not that they're just old white guys, but like they are, but they do the similar things. They have the similar strengths. And so, yeah, that's kind of, I just almost was like, duh, is that right there in front of us? And are we all just overthinking it? Now it could totally be Justin Fields and the money is going to be a big issue and all of that. I get the reasons why not to do it. Do you think people would be upset if it was Kirk Cousins? Or do you think they would kind of say like, all right, I get it. It's not sexy. This whole off season hasn't been like the most sexy. So that would also be a theme. What, what would you, what would you bet people would respond with for a Kirk Cousins signing? I think, I think it would be quite controversial uh, for all of the reasons you said that he's, again, this is an exploding quarterback that you're getting, you know, but none of these, none of these options are perfect. There's no ideal scenario because if you're getting Kirk, you're paying him a lot of money and he's coming off an Achilles tear and he's probably got three to four years left. So you've got all those things to worry about. You don't have to worry about him being a bad quarterback. So there is that. That is really nice. Yeah. Uh, but you are probably going to have to pay him close to $40 million, maybe more. I mean, I don't know. If he leaves Minnesota, then all bets are off because that contract could get yeah. catastrophically large. But And then you're in the Matt Ryan boat all over yeah, again. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I don't know what they want. And I don't know this new regime well enough to say, oh, they're going to or not going to. I think if this was, you know, Arthur Smith still here, I would say, Kirk Cousins was much more likely because they, he would be coaching for his life. Like it would be like if we don't get a starter today, we're done. Uh, we're, we're we're not going to last. So this is a new. I, I think there might be. I don't think it will be less aggressive, but I think it might be a little bit more of a patient approach, a little bit more of a long term lean. But I, I think some people would be really excited because it probably means the, Fal the Falcons are going to be going all in, if not this year, next year. Um, and, and they're going to be trying to go for this, this window with, with Kirk. I know some people think he would be more of like a stopgap. No, Kirk comes here. They're going all in soon. And I don't know if it would be this year, but because he's coming off an Achilles and all this stuff, this is probably like the setup year, but if they yeah. sign Kirk 2025, they're going all in guarantee it. So, um, unless the team just completely falls apart, but we're not going to entertain that on this program. I mean, I've, they are, are. <laughs> going kind of all in right, right. Like, I, yeah. it's very clear that the last three years even though they didn't use the words rebuild it, it was a a sort of rebuild it was a retinkering and they fully expect last year to be in the playoffs to win their division to do all of the you know stuff that we expected them to do and they didn't but yeah. again they're not blowing it up they're not totally starting from scratch they want to be in the playoffs this fall 
They want to be oh, yeah. in the divisional round next fall. Like that, yeah. that is the timeline. They are they are pretty much it, like all the chips are not in the middle of the table, but they're ready to do that if need be. Yeah, yeah, and and so Kirk would would give you the best path to the playoffs this year. I think of, of it. assuming you can't get to like number one for the top quarterback or something like that, but I don't think that's possible. So. I would not hate the Kirk move at all. I, I think it's going to be controversial, but it, it's not a bad move under any circumstances. It's just, it's one path they can take and it's going to wipe out your free agency. So they're not getting a big edge rusher if they're signing Kirk Cousins more than likely. I mean, they're going to have to, but at the, by the same token, they're going to be able to keep eight. So maybe that's where you get your edge rusher. Exactly. So, you know, you've got other options. They've got a full complement of draft picks and all that stuff. But yeah, um, I, I have no problem with the Kirk Cousins thing. I just don't think he's leaving Minnesota, but um. You know, it seems it seems like the the easiest thing is for them to just stay together. But, you know, <laughs> you know, do we really want to split up the house and the China, you know, or do we just want to stay together? You know, and I think that's maybe the Vikings idea. will make a weird push for Deshaun Watson and, and that'll send Kirk Cousins packing. Who knows? We can never rule yeah. that out. Yeah. I mean, that could happen. Uh, I, not that it's happened to any team that I know of, uh, but, you know, <laughs> you know, spending time on quarterbacks, we shouldn't be. But, yeah, I, I think that one is. It would fit the aggressiveness. It would be more of like the veteran route aggressiveness. Then there's mm-hmm. the Justin Fields route, which I've been a fan of just because I feel like it's that sort of mix of draft capital and financial investment and like youth and potential. But it's not like anywhere near as much financial investment as Kirk Cousins. And it's well, not as I much draft capital as like the to top. Be, though. Eventually, I... yes. But yeah, but like you get it's two years. Sooner sooner rather than later and that's also going to align with a lot of the younger players that you've got like you're going to have kyle pitts's and drake london's and bijan robinson and all of their contracts mature together at the same time if that's kind of the path that you're doing it and also a lot of the free agent acquisitions they made last offseason would be coming up kind of next offseason the offseason after that so you would kind of be in this situation where you know, come the 2026 off season, you suddenly have a lot of money on the books. And I, I just think that will be a factor. I don't necessarily know if, you know, that's going to push them one way or the other, but what I do really like, and you kind of alluded to earlier is that whichever way the Falcons want to go, it, it'll, it sets them up nicely to at least address the few specific issues, because this is a very different off season, I think approach than what we have seen recently. Uh, like the first two years under Arthur Smith when they were cash draft, it was almost like a shotgun, but like a nerf shotgun approach, like totally Bargain ineffective. <laughs> yeah, just like, all right, we'll take whatever, but like we the need to just fill nerf, out our roster. Like, exactly. Not even nerf. We're, it was like, you know. We're going to know. Dollar General and yeah, like I'm getting yeah. my toothpaste and I'm getting my SpaghettiOs. Mm-hmm. And then last off season, it was a similar approach but at a higher level. And you also had the money to go and get really specific big name guys that you needed to, right? Uh, David Onyemata, a Clay's Campbell, a Jesse Bates. Now I think you really just have like a couple of key spots on the roster that are almost like luxuries that you could add to. I think receiver is really the only room where you're like, we need just a, a, few guys like not just one more guy but like we need three or four more guys at least yeah (laughs) Yeah. but even even in the secondary you've got your number two corner spot if you want to upgrade in the nickel like maybe you could but your number two corner spot on the defensive line it's really just can we go get a a main edge guy and a nose tackle at you know 
quarterback, you can figure out what, but that's just one position. So there's only like a handful of actual true needs. And some of those aren't even real needs. It's more just, can we upgrade this spot and actually put a real true competitive, like Super Bowl caliber caliber player. But we're talking about like, can, can the Falcons go get Legereus Sneed? this off season and bring him in to be the number two corner. That's kind of the playground they're playing in. I think this off season, if they want to be very aggressive, which is very exciting. And yeah. again, if they go the quarterback round free agency, then we are talking about a draft where at number eight, you could get a premier player at one of the premier positions. And it's not every draft that you can, you can say that. Yeah, no, this is a good class and the Falcons will have good options at eight. Um, and and that you know to where they don't if, if they're not trying to get a quarterback they don't really need to trade up like at all yeah like if they, they, they weren't trying to get a quarterback yeah, yeah. they'd be sitting they'd so be pretty yes yeah I do I do think that if they get Kirk the chances of them taking like Malik Neighbors or Roma Dunze at eight are a lot higher because they might be viewing or this trading as like, okay, down if those guys are gone yeah yeah um you know I, I think and and that will not be popular you know I think people will be wanting that edge rusher there. But guys, we haven't gotten that edge rusher there in like five years. So I mean, what's one more year of waiting, right? What's one more <laughs> year? But um, there are good, there are good second round edge rushers too. So there is that, and there's good second round receivers. So like whatever thing they don't get in the first the receivers round, receivers loaded. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it, if they really want that like top end wide receiver one caliber guy to throw into this offense. That guy is at eight, but if they want a wide receiver too, there's a bunch of them on day two. Like, I mean, um, I would trade back to like 29 and just take Lad McConkey and be so excited and call it a day. Like, yeah, you can't tell yeah. me. And if this is what mock drafts are about, I like you cannot tell me Lad McConkey is not going to be a good player in the NFL. So why are we yeah. not just like he's a first rounder? Because isn't that the point of this whole exercise is just to go find good NFL players? But, you know, I get the upside and the traits. I've just seen, if you're telling me Hunter Renfro became a relevant NFL player, Lad McConkey is going to be a pro bowler for like seven straight. He's like Jarvis Landry. He's going to be just yeah. like so good for so long. Lad yeah. McConkey's so, like Hunter Renfro, but actually has NFL size and speed. Like, <laughs> yeah. No like offense to Hunter Renfro, but like, you know, it's just like the traits right. were not there. He just did it all on no, Saturday. Yeah, that's what I'm yeah. saying. He's like, yeah, the the evolved version of that where it's like the fundamentals, all the technique, all the whatever. But yeah, he's also just got that raw athleticism. So that's how stacked of a class receiver is, which is why I would be a little bit shocked. I frankly think that the receivers, we could see them slip down the board, like if there is any position. Because, you know, if you're the Giants, and yeah, you need a receiver desperately, you also kind of need an offensive lineman. And I would think that your chances of finding a starting receiver in the second round, you know, a, a high impact starting receiver, probably a little bit better than finding a high impact immediate starter at tackle. Yeah. You know, yeah, you could still probably find a guy that you like early in the second round, but I, I think you get my point. If you got Joe Alt there at six, like take him and then go get, Tez Walker, Troy Franklin, like any of these guys, Xavier Leggett, any of these guys in the second round that, that you like. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think it's a really good wide receiver class. It's, it, that's the strongest position by far. So I I would be kind of shocked if Atlanta doesn't get two um, in this draft. Yeah. Like, I, I think you need to. Um, and they're probably going to sign someone as well. I, I don't really think they're going to be in on like T Higgins or anything like that. I know that's been floated. 
they've got a lot. I think he's going to Tennessee. I think T Higgins is following Brian Callahan. I mean, that would make way too much sense, but um, <laughs> I, the Falcons are going to have to pay Drake and Kyle Pitts very soon. So I think the the move there is to plan for that and to try to draft your expensive, you know, complimentary players, not yeah. like sign them. And that, you know, I still think like, like Demarcus Robinson or something like that, and maybe re-signing Van Jefferson, you know, guys that theoretically should fit like this off, especially Van Jefferson, like fit this offense that's coming in a lot better than the one that actually acquired them. You know, the Van Jefferson thing just. Oh, was that, was the offensive scheme the problem with Jan- Van Jefferson last year? It wasn't any of the dropped passes. I, I mean, you know, then maybe that's maybe on he me wasn't then. Com- yeah. Maybe he wasn't comfortable. Well, you know, he just didn't, <laughs> didn't. Yeah. But we know that he's got the familiarity. So, I mean, I'm not yeah. saying they're not going to have to pay him much or anything, but I wouldn't be shocked if they're like, Van, whatever, just come back and be our wife. And I had such a hard time personally with Van Jefferson because he's like the nicest guy. Anytime yeah. I talk to him in the locker, he's like such a nice dude who answered any question I had. And then I'm sitting here being like, are we sure it was not the drops that meant <laughs> like, sure so I, you know, that's yep. the hard part of this job sometimes. It is, it is. You know, sometimes you can't, you can't hide your, your true feelings there, but um, <laughs> you know, that, that second round is absolutely stacked. You know, I love guys like Jalen Polk. And then we saw like Roman Wilson and Ricky Pierce all like both completely dominate the senior ball. So they've really risen into that range. So, I mean, that's not to even talk about the other guys that were already in that range. So, I, I think it's it's just a great group and, and it wouldn't shock me if we see like, you know, Jared versus at eight, say they sign Kirk Cousins or, or you know, what or trade for Justin yeah, Fields. Free you know, agency whatever. They address the say yeah. say they do it veteran somehow, whether it's cousins or fields or what have you. Or Tom Brady and, coming out of retirement. <laughs> yep. There we go. Yeah, that, that was only if only if Belichick was this year, but uh we got <laughs> Could you we imagine get, if that was his oh pitch in the room? Arthur yeah, Blank's I'm gonna get like, Brady. Right, Bill. So, what do you yeah. do? He's like, uh, you know, Tommy's not going to the booth. Come on. No, he's coming. Yeah, he, yeah. he'll be here. He'll be here soon. Um, but yeah, that you could get like like cousins or Fields, and then you go draft like, you know, Jalen Polk, and then you draft like, uh, you know, Jamari Thrash or something in the third round, and you get those two guys with Drake, and you're like, okay, let's cook. You know, let's let's do it. Um, you know, I. I yeah. You know, you you could totally rebuild your entire receiver core in one offseason, you know, like that. And and I think that they're going to do something like that, even if it's not everything that early. But, you know, wide receiver is definitely one of the biggest needs in terms of what they need to be aggressive for. And they're going to be very aggressive. I just tend to think that side of the ball, there'll probably be some, like I said, like Demarcus Robinson or somebody like that, or, or like a wide receiver, three, four caliber guy. They'll probably bring back a Daryl Hodge. Yeah. He's a great special teamer, but, um, but that's like the interesting part about all of this, right. Is because you're saying that they need to be really aggressive at receiver and they, and they do, but again, that's more of a volume need. And I'm saying at corner, they should be aggressive and they should, but again, that's a number two corner and on the defensive line, they should be aggressive and they should, but, they do have Grady Jarrett and David Onyemata, and they do have some of these young guys that we want to see get a few more. Re- so that's kind of my my point and why I keep coming back to they are attacking not necessarily like these positions where if you swing and miss, you've struck out and the game's over. Mm-hmm. It's you're almost attacking these secondary positions and you can choose whether to go about this with the biggest swing possible and saying we're taking the Cincinnati Bengals approach and we're just going to get like three studs on the field at the same time at the receiver and we'll figure out who's the X and who's the Y and who's the Z or they can really kind of roll this out and say 
all right, we've got our X receiver in place. We've got a pseudo X in Kyle Pitts. Let's go get a slot guy. Let's go get a move Z. Let's go. And they can really be smart about their resources and still have some money left in the bank and not waste any future draft picks. So again, the board is setting up really nicely because they, outside of the quarterback position, don't have a left tackle they need to go find. They don't have, you know, a, a glaring hole on a defensive tackle that they need to fill. There's not a lot of true needs outside of quarterback, and the needs that are there are role or supplementary players, not your one on either side. Yeah. Yeah. And for the record, I'm very much still team edge at eight if they still have that pick. I think. You've been Give team it, edge at eight yeah. for like 15 years. I'm not years, getting off Kevin. this bandwagon, okay? Like eventually we're coming into the station someday. You know, the the, <laughs> the, the bandwagon left. It hasn't come back yet. With the bandwagon left for cigarettes, you know, 10 years ago, it still hasn't returned. But it'll be here someday. It's coming back, I promise. And, and maybe we'll get that edge rusher then. But, um, you know, they've got a lot of flexibility. And, they, and they're going to be aggressive to do it. But they, they can do it in free agency or the draft. And that's... That's what's nice about having cap space and having draft picks available. They can take whichever route presents itself the best. You know, maybe maybe these top-tier edge rushers, maybe one of them does shake loose and you're able to get that guy in free agency. Or maybe Kirk Cousins sh- shakes loose and you're able to get him in free agency. And then you can, you know, we haven't had any dominoes fall. So that's why part of why it's so hard to predict yeah. or really do anything because it's like, well... I don't know if this guy's going to hit free agency or, you know, and if this, this guy doesn't be hit the free quiet agency. time, Kevin, <laughs> yeah. and now we got to yeah. make content and we're just out here spitballing. But yeah, yep. I mean, there yep. no moves are really going to happen for the next little bit. Like, thank God the combine's here. So we could just talk about 40 times, but even that is going to be more smoke than substance. Um, yeah. But I, every also, and I like Terry Fondo being here still, I think everything you just laid out the, the draft pick still being in place, the salary cap being much healthier than it was in a relatively short amount of time. All of that, those are reasons why Terry Fonda was still here because I do think that organizationally, health-wise, they're in a pretty good spot to make some of these moves. But is there a chance I laid out that why this is all a big positive, that they you know, only have maybe like five or six kind of balls to play with here and they got to figure out how to do that. Could that also be a negative where they are in a little bit of a wait and see. They are kind of trying to see who would shake free. What does Kirk Cousins do in Minnesota? That a lot of these are ifs and ands and what have you. You know, could that be some downside or could there be some downside of that in in the sense that they aren't able to fully say, well, here are all the guys we know that are going to be available or here's in the draft and we're going to do this, this, and this, and this, and we just have to go execute. But here's the plan. There is a little bit of wait and see element to this and that could get dicey sometimes. Yeah, it could. And, and, it's all just totally up in the air and and that's part of what makes it exciting, but also hard to project, especially at this stage. But, you know, I suspect based on what we know about this team and, you know, the situation they find themselves in quarterback has to be number one. They're, they're, I think if they can solve quarterback first, they will, but that sort of depends, right? Does Kirk cousins shake free? Does Justin Fields, become available. It seems like he's going to be available. So is, is a trade able to happen there? Um, And if you listen, if you were on Twitter today, it seems like, you know, the, the it's heating up, you know, Justin Fields to Atlanta, whether it's actually realistic or not, is still to be determined. But, you know, those two guys, if they go that route, they could have the quarterback settled before the draft. And then that sort of allows them to be 
a little bit more flexible, but you know, if they don't have the quarterback settled before the draft, then we're just going to be sweating the entire time leading up to that draft. Because if it's, if it's just Desmond Ritter on the roster going into draft weekend, it's like, well, I guess we're going to find out if we're starting Desmond Ritter or a rookie uh, this year. And, you know, in some ways that doesn't seem like they're likely to do that. I mean, they're going to get somebody else in here, whether that's, you know, Carson Wentz or uh, John Wofford. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Just go Anything. through the list of all this. Uh, the, God, I almost said St. Louis Rams, the Los Angeles Rams quarterbacks of the last like four yeah, years. And any the of them are probably candidates, candidates to be the Logan Woodside yep. of this, uh, this roster. God, I can't talk right now. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'm curious to see where they end up going there. Um, but I, I feel like the most aggressive will be for quarterback and, that's that's sort of why I think the they could go for fields because I feel like they have to get some kind of option that they can rally behind, and like yeah. fields is like fields has a a litany of question marks like I, I, no one's discounting that maybe some people are but like fields is like can he improve as a passer he's been injured you know you're gonna have to pay him in two year in two years you know like there's all these questions. But he also ha- he's the same age as Michael Penix. Yeah. Like he's younger than Michael Penix and younger than. And Bo he's Nicks super and- exciting and yes. trust like yeah. Hometown trust me, kid, if they, you know, if they so- get Justin Fields, like I will find a way to convince myself to be excited. Yes, so it's like that's part of the reason why I think they could go for him because it's like it, it would check the box and it would give you some something that you're set with going into draft weekend. That doesn't necessarily preclude them from taking another quarterback. I kind of think that they're unlikely to do so if they have Justin Fields, but it doesn't mean that it's impossible. Um, but I, I, they need to have something to give the fans hope at quarterback. And like, maybe, maybe Desmond Ritter has like a, a, you know, complete personal transformation and becomes Tom Brady this off season. Even if that happened, they couldn't start him next year. Like doesn't mean no. that he can't play. Doesn't mean that he can't ever become something but they can't start him. They just can't do well, it. Well, the path we would be yeah. you bring in Justin Fields, you say, All right, we're gonna have to pay him in two years mm-hmm. unless we don't. And if he doesn't work out, and let's say you've got Desmond Ritter, and then in two years you do the Jordan Love fit, like there's that route there. Or to your point, maybe they take a Spencer Rattler in the third because they just want to double dip and like take multiple swings at it. There are a lot of different ways they could go, but I, I do think the more that you kind of talk about it, like the the veteran route does make a lot of sense even as we are going to continue to sit here and speculate which quarterback they'll take in the draft um i i think that veteran does make a lot of sense for this team yeah they're they're in that unfortunate spot of being too far to be able to depend on getting a rookie quarterback um yeah and they're not like so far that they they can't they can't just tell the fans like oh we we wanted someone to fall and they didn't like that's not gonna fly um because of mistakes made, you know, by the previous regime, not, not getting a quarterback in here, this regime, the first order of business is going to be get a quarterback in here. And the good news about fields and and Kirk cousins to the same, to some extent is like, it's probably going to be a two to three year commitment with fields. It's two at minimum with cousins. I don't think you're getting him in the door for less than a three year contract. So, um, that's not forever. It is a, a, and, and the reason I prefer Fields is because Fields could turn into a long-term solution. Yeah, it's or a bigger not, swing. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. Cousins, you're much more comfortable with 
for those three years. But after that, you're probably looking for another quarterback again. So they each have their, their, their pluses and their minuses. And, you know, I think for a lot of people, it's like, oh, well, if you could just get into the top three for a rookie, that would be the ideal situation. And I agree. That would be the ideal situation. I don't, I don't think it's going to happen. I just don't think any of those top three, like, are we, are we really telling ourselves the Patriots are going to keep Mac Jones and like, you know, are we really, the commanders aren't starting Sam Howell for the same reason the Falcons aren't starting Desmond Ritter. They can't, you know, and yeah, but again, a lot, I mean, we're saying things will change between now and then they could change for those teams too. And there's always a surprise. Like what if Patriots trade for Trey Lance, you know, like who there's always some random Brock Osweiler type of deal where you're like, what, what's going on here? So I, I get what you're saying, but don't, I wouldn't discredit no, another no, team's possible. ability to totally yeah. face plant yes. in an off season. Yes. I will always leave the door open for other teams face planning. I, you know, try not <laughs> to think of the Falcons doing that, but it could easily happen to the Falcons too. And we'll just have to hope for the best there. But yeah, I, I think that the, the main takeaway from our conversation is that we both think that they will be quite aggressive uh, for quarterback and probably edge and probably wide receiver and, Maybe they should be at corner, like you mentioned. I mean, it's. I think cornerback two is a big need, but given that they're going to have to pay Terrell, can are they really going to go out and pay big money to a, a a veteran? You know, are they going to be able to dedicate one of their day one or day two picks to cornerback, given their other needs? It's. I would love to get another corner in here. You know, I know um, Akella Witherspoon's a free agent for the Rams. You know, mm-hmm. maybe maybe they could go after him. Um, they, if they want to keep that, if they're keeping that same defense for the most part. So, uh, you know, maybe Buda Baker could, could come here and be our second safety. You know, I, I don't, I've run, I never want to rule that out. I've been, you know, praying for Buda Baker in Atlanta for, for many years. So you know, that would be very expensive, yeah. but you know, it, it, he'd be a nice fit. Cause he is, is a little bit of that, like Tyron Matthew type of, you can just move them all around a defense, which is what Richie Grant was supposed to be. Antoine Winfield Jr. is, and I am salty about that. (laughs) Jeremy Chin and Antoine Winfield Jr. were like my two favorite players in that draft. And then, you know, the next year they take Richie Grant, which is, you know, all well and good. And I liked him coming out of UCF as well. But man, there's, I would love to have Antoine Winfield here. Everybody would, right? Everybody would. Yeah. If they had Antoine Winfield and Jesse Bates, this would be a very different conversation uh, on defense. But, you know, Tyler Newbin on day two could be an option. I like him. The safety out of Minnesota, he's, he's very good as well. So yeah. they this is a good class. They've got options, and I think they're going to be aggressive in filling them. They're gonna and they're gonna need some luck to get it done too. You know, they're gonna need some of these. They're gonna probably sign a good number of these depth guys. And and Fontenot, to his credit, he's been turning over every stone looking for looking for guys in the CFL, the X, the UFL. I guess it would be now. You know, like they're gonna be taking shots on these guys and. Some of those guys have definitely worked out and, and they're going to try to get some help and you, you know, undrafted for agency and all this stuff. Um, so we, we've got a long way to go, but I think even more than last year, I think we're looking at a very aggressive off season for this team because the time is now they, they can't afford to wait. The fan base isn't going to wait, you know, even like the fan base didn't really wait for this previous regime either, but like, we were so we we were willing to wait like a year. The second year was much more difficult than last year was like excruciating, and that's what led, of course, to to the cleaning of the house at the top. But it's a tough situation for a new staff to come into that they have to like hit the ground running immediately. But that's the NFL, not for long, right? So. Exactly, and that's what <laughs> that's you wouldn't want it any other way. 
yeah, as a as a coach, right? You think these guys relish coming in here and being like, "All right, cool, I got to basically do a lot of spring cleaning for the next two years and then get the program." No, like the reason college is so much fun is because one recruiting class can totally change your program and you can start competing right away. If that doesn't really happen in the NFL a ton, and one other reason for optimism that I will you know provide is that if you look, because I agree, Terry Fano has done such a good job of finding players like Nate Landman and D Alford and these guys who, you know, are like unheard of before they come here in Atlanta. And now all of a sudden they're, you know, making key plays as starters. Mm -hmm. I each off season. And some of this is just by the nature of the salary cap situation that they were dealing with, but it's also easier on paper to say, okay, your financial situation is going to get better. Therefore your roster is going to get better. We've seen time and again that that doesn't always equate. Each of the last three off seasons, the roster has gotten better and kind of like markedly better. The yeah. defense, top 10 unit last year. That is where they spent the majority of their free agent money was on that side of the ball. I know the kind of draft picks, the first round picks are talented players. They have not necessarily provided that production that, means overall team production but you do look at kind of the later rounds of the draft that is the weaker part i think of terry fontenot's resume but there it's not been an abject disaster and the areas that he has hit in free agency have largely been pretty awesome so that is where i I think i'm hopeful and maybe that is why we again might see the falcons go the veteran route with quarterback because he said time and again they like to fill their needs with proven nfl talent i maybe that means they go quarterback to get that right but i trust what they plan to do kind of this offseason because again over the last three off seasons like their track record is is pretty strong yeah no i mean i i agree and and i think fontenot is is more comfortable with the pro personnel side i mean that's his background sure. it's not at all shocking but um the mechanics of the draft and the way that the Falcons are picking where they're picking and all this stuff, it does set up for this being a veteran addition. Potentially. You know, I, I won't rule <laughs> out anything. It's too early to rule out anything, obviously. But, you know, it, if they don't go the veteran route, we're going to be walking into the draft weekend probably pretty concerned, like, about not getting a starter. And I, I just don't think they're going to take that risk. Um that they could miss out on a quarterback because that would be very bad and it would not lead to good things for this team. And it would, the fan base would be in an uproar and all this stuff that you could just avoid if you go out and and get that veteran option. And maybe the best case scenario would be waiting until the draft and, and seeing if somebody falls that you want. Like I know in, um, I think it was Lance zero line, latest muck, like Drake may fell and the Falcons were able to trade up and grab him. That's probably the best case scenario, but are you really gonna go into the draft hoping that Drake may? You wouldn't falls? go in hoping. Like, they would. They would know. They would have yeah. to have the lay of the yeah. land, unless like some weird Miami Dolphins Justin Herbert, like yeah. that whole like where they're just like we're not gonna take Tua, we're gonna take Justin Herbert, which you know in hindsight maybe probably would have been the right, right call. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I you know they they'll come in with an idea, and again like moves are going to happen between now and then. So if a New England decides to get a veteran guy or Washington, you know, trades out way or like there are the landscape is going to change. 
the Falcons may be one of those teams that makes the trade up to two with Washington and and kind of does their deal early and and takes the guesswork out of it. If they make that move, I would like the conviction. You know, I would. Yeah. We would then debate the rookie versus veteran approach, but I I don't think that hope would be necessarily. Yeah the like instinct they would go in a draft. No, they're not going to do that. I don't think I, I can't see them like they should go gambling the to that extent uh, at this point, you know, um, like they, they did it into 2021. They went in, you know, but they were, they were able to do because they had Matt Ryan. So they were like, okay, well yeah. it's the court, you know, and then they didn't take the quarterback anyway. So it, it ended up not really mattering at all, but um, <laughs> it's, it's, it would be very dicey to wait. So I, I understand the, what what a lot of fans think the best scenario would be, which is to get one of the top rookie quarterbacks and get that rookie contract and all that stuff, which is absolutely correct. The 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 set of circumstances to have that happen is very narrow and probably requires a lot of things going right to the extent that you'd be taking a big risk, like hoping that that materializes. Um, and that's why I think that they're probably going to get at least some kind of veteran option. Maybe it's not Justin Fields or Kirk Cousins. Maybe it's somebody a little bit farther down the totem pole than those guys, but they're going to get some kind of quote unquote legitimate starting option before the draft would be my thought. And then we'll have to we see what happens so. in the draft. But yeah, I mean, they may know, also, legitimate, I don't know. Yeah. Even, even though Bo Nix is 24, they may say, look, we look at Bo Nix. We see Matthew Stafford. We see Kirk Cousins. We see that type of quarterback, you know, a, yeah, he kind of comes in a Baker Mayfield package, but like if he can execute in that type of offense and Dan Lanning, you know, at, at Georgia kind of, or at, at Oregon had a little bit more of those pro elements as opposed to, you know, the Auburn, just a little bit more of that kind of a spread air raid, that type of deal. So JJ McCarthy, Bo Nix, Spencer Rattler, like there may be somebody beyond those three guys. I personally don't see it with Spencer Rattler. Apologies to anybody yeah. out there who does. I know he had a great senior bowl, but, I like I think JJ McCarthy and Bo Nix are two elements that should at least be mentioned here. We don't have to spend any more time on Apparently them. Apparently I have to because I'm getting quote tweeted, you know, about my JJ McCarthy takes. Like I I don't think he's a top ten player at this stage of his career. The NFL thinks that, or like t- top fifteen, definitely, but top ten maybe a little bit aggressive, my characterization of that. But J.J. McCarthy is everything NFL teams want. Like, young, cannon arm, dual threat ability. Like, if you guys can't see why people like J.J. McCarthy... Like, uh, some people are like, oh, he sucks. He he can't be an NFL... Like, I don't know what you're watching. Like, if you think that, I think you're just a hater. And you're just not seeing it. Because J.J. Like, you can say, like, I'm not interested. But, like, to say that he can't be an NFL starter, he doesn't have the traits, or he sucks, like... That's just completely inaccurate. Like he has. I mean, the that's arm. the world we. Yeah, live in. like, I mean, he's got the traits. Like the the question for evaluators that you know, no offense to people that actually know what the hell they're talking about. He has the traits. There's no question whether he has the arm, the dual threat ability, that stuff. The question is like, can he put that stuff together and become an NFL starter? That is the question, not whether he's got the requisite traits. He's a drastically higher ceiling player than Desmond River was, than Kenny Pickett was. That's why he's being talked about this early. And that's why he could be the Falcons pick at eight. Do I want that? No. I've been low on JJ McCarthy and I I think he needs a year <laughs> at least before we're yeah. talking about it. But 
they could like that. They could say, we're going to get a stopgap guy like a Gardner Minshew in here for a couple for a year. Or even a Kirk then... Cousins. And right. let's say it's a two year deal. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and say, like, we're going to develop J.J. McCarthy because, you know, we think he's got all the traits. He just needs to put it together. Um, and and there, I think, there's I think the issue yeah. here is we're talking about two players in Bonex and J.J. McCarthy who are literally part of an extinct species. <laughs> and that species is second round quarterback. Like <laughs> right. second round quarterback does not exist in our terminology anymore yeah. because the position has forced it. It's a Venn diagram. It's you're this position. This position is so valuable, but like you're a second rounder and we're just going to move you into the first round because that's what the NFL does nowadays. But you don't have to look that far back to also see the draft with Malik Willis and Kenny Pickett yeah. and Desmond Ritter where the league kind of told you, hey, look, if we don't think these quarterbacks, and they were right about that, by the way, yes, we don't think these quarterbacks are worth it, we're not going to take them there. Will Levis, last year, great example. We're all sitting here talking about him in the top 10 at this point in time. Yes. He goes in the second round. Like, that's what these quarterbacks are. They're second round quarterbacks. It's okay to say they've got some flaws to their game. Like, I think Bo Nix could be Aaron Murray, or he could be like a much better version of Baker Mayfield. You know, like I, I think that that's kind of his floor and ceiling. I don't, would not want to draft Aaron Murray at number eight. Are you kidding me? Like he never became a starter in the NFL, even though he had this awesome Georgia career. And I thought he kind of had some of those traits and tools, which never worked out for him. Yep. Baker Mayfield, on the other hand, like you're seeing how he, that grit and that like scrappiness and all that, that's what Bo Nix plays with. But he does have a much better, I think, tool set and, and yeah. traits and the athleticism jj mccarthy same thing i actually kind of see a little bit of desmond ritter in jj mccarthy when i watch him play but i think that the stuff that jj mccarthy has is a little bit better than the stuff that desmond ritter had even though there were moments and there were throws this season where you're like holy crap man like why can't we do that a little bit more often because that was really yeah. nice jj mccarthy makes those throws like i don't know eight 10 times a game. The question is, can he do that throwing the ball 35 times a game over the course of a season at the NFL level? Cause he didn't have to do that in college. Yeah. That's what puts both of these guys in that second round conversation. And it's just, we don't know how to have that conversation anymore no. No. because we only move them into the first round and we sit here and say, yeah, but they suck as first round quarterbacks. I wouldn't want to take them there. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that's cause not, that's not where they belong. Or you say, yeah, but I'd rather have a quarterback in the third round where the value's better. And it's like, okay, but then those guys are going to be gone. So yeah. it's all just there a is weird... no middle ground. You win or you exactly. die. It's just like Game yeah. of Thrones. Yeah, yeah. So no, and the and, hill I will die on is in the middle yeah. of the two polar hills. Yes, and like <laughs> yes, in a in a sane world, I think we actually see quarterbacks drafted the second round. But it feels like these days, it's like you're either you're if you're not if you're not in the first round, you're last. You know. Uh, yeah. So it. I see I see why people are so hyped up about JJ McCarthy. I just personally am scared by it. Like but I you know, just like with Will Levis, it only it only takes one. You know, and, mm -hmm. and with Will Levis, nobody ended up going for it until the second round. It shocked a lot of people. But I it only ever takes one. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised though if both JJ McCarthy and Bonex are are there at the beginning of, of the second round. I and could, like that's kind of where yeah. they go. Because again, we're we're talking about some of these other positions where I like I think there's gonna be a nice run of offensive tackles somewhere between like twelve and, and twenty-six. You know, like just there's gonna go like seven offensive tackles are gonna go in between that range and wherever the run really starts to happen, it's gonna push a lot of these positions 
back down the board. And yeah, quarterback is always going to be that one position where it'll break that run. It'll do whatever. Cause you got a team that needs to trade back up and, and get their guy. But I, you know, I, right now it feels like we're all sitting here saying this guy's the worst player ever because you don't <laughs> want your team to take him in the top 10 and give it a couple months. And I, you know, that player probably is going to be in the latter half of the first round or early day two. Yeah, exactly. And things can change, obviously, as you said, too. It's it's nothing set in stone, but uh, I think the, the takes are getting a little too hot where it's like, he's not worth top 10 pick does not equal he sucks and has no traits. Like, that's just false. Like, he's got traits. We just didn't see a lot of them, you know. Michigan dominated most of their games. He had not that. I mean, he, he had a high number of first half passing attempts, but second half passing attempts, I mean, he just didn't have to throw the ball that much. So, yeah. I don't, you know, people that are like, well, he didn't throw for that many yards and didn't have to do a whole lot. Like, yeah, that's exactly why it's hard to evaluate him. Uh, but does he have a great arm? Does he have dual threat ability? Is he 21 years old? Did he win a national championship? All the, the answers to all those questions are yes. So all that stuff's in the plus column. But then there's the big question mark of like, well, can he put it all together? You know, could he actually have led yeah. that team if they weren't as good to, to the national championship? Because he led them there or is it because the rest of the team was so good and that's that's it's the danger with those those teams that dominate in college football is you you know unlike uh caleb williams at usc who basically had to just try to carry that team every single week uh you know it's like you don't see a lot from mccarthy it, it, he just didn't have to do a whole lot so i i feel like i i thought i was a mccarthy hater until i saw some people just saying like oh yeah he's terrible he'll never be an nfl player maybe like relax a little bit off of that take you gotta come to his defense now yeah i yeah i never thought that i would see the day but um you know we'll have to see how this shakes out but there's the free agency is gonna happen first and i i think we'll know a lot that if the falcons don't get a quarterback in in this veteran period if they're they don't get fields they don't get cousins it's gonna get a little bit sketchier uh for sure and we're gonna have we're probably gonna be sweating it out uh, until the draft trying to figure out what we're doing at quarterback and does this regime want to do that? You know, I don't know. I don't know. I, I wouldn't want to do that, but you know, maybe, maybe they got the diamond hands, you know, I'm not sure. Uh, so we'll have to see how, how they handle it. But, uh, we got, we did have one donation from Corey with the $2. Thank you so much, Corey. He said, uh, I could be reading into this too much, but I feel like the Raheem Morris hire means that we're going to go the veteran route at quarterback because we are in a win now mode. However, we could sign a vet and still draft a quarterback to hedge our bets. Yeah, I mean, you're you're right. Like, I mean, I I basically we have kind of talked about the question, I guess, which is, I think you and I both sort of feel like veteran is probably most likely, but that doesn't preclude them from also taking a quarterback. It just makes it a little bit less likely, particularly at like eight. Yeah, it doesn't. But again, you know, they are set up somewhat well to do the model, which became very, very popular after, you know, Russell Wilson, which was the build up the team. And then you plug in your quarterback kind of as that last element, the Falcons almost like went about that in, in a backwards way. They, <laughs> yeah. they kind of like almost just stumbled into that being the the path, but you could tell me that they feel that, all right, Hey, JJ McCarthy didn't have to shoulder a big load in Michigan. He had success in you know, like not being able to get into a rhythm, but still being able to deliver these big throws after not having thrown the ball in like four and a half minutes of, of real life time. That's what we're going to ask him to do here in year one. And it's going to be Matt Ryan in 2008, where we're going to run the ball a 
400 times and we've got a tight end and we've got one good receiver and like we're just going to ask him to throw the ball 24 times and if he can complete 18 of those we like our chances to win with defense and a run game like yeah i mean baby now you got a stew going so i i could see that being the approach however i i do think again zach robinson and everybody coming from la and seeing the proof of concepts there the passing game is going to be a little bit of a focal point of this offense. They're going to probably like to get somebody in here who is going to know what they need to know. They're going to be able to diagnose defenses. They're going to be able to make very quick reads. And that all does tend to to favor. I mean, even if we wanted to lump in Drake May and Caleb Williams and all those guys, that would be a learning curve for them as well. None of these quarterbacks outside of CJ Stroud and, you know, I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope a lot of CJ Stroud's come into the league because he is so much freaking fun to watch. But I would bet on CJ Stroud being an outlier and that we're not going to just suddenly start seeing three, four quarterbacks each class who who come out and are just like ready to rip from day one. And so anybody that you draft is going to have that question mark attached. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, I, I we'll have to see. We'll have to see what they land on and you know, you certainly wonder uh, about, you know, what other options there could be if they do strike out. And, and you know, there may be some interesting ones. Like I know, you know, people like Jacoby Brissett in Cleveland, you know, could sure. be like what, what, yeah, it, it's boring. What are we doing but, like, here, man? If yeah, they but, like, I don't want a Gardner Minshew. If that's the answer coming out of this off season, like I, I don't know. I, I would just, be very upset. Yes, yeah, so that, that's, not for that's me. what I'm. That's what I'm arriving at. And I think the if they are going to try to take a chance and wait for the draft, that's probably the type of guy that we'll see at it, like a Brissett type of player, where it's yeah, like, well, we you. have we have a we have a fallback, but this is not our number one choice. Like we have a Taylor is, Heineke. Yeah, well, like, they can't they can't go that route, unfortunately. Uh, that, I know, that but that's basically sailed, what you got. Yes, exactly. I mean, hope you're hoping that it's a better version of that, but um, yeah. So, doesn't inspire a ton of confidence, obviously, but it, it would be something. Uh, they got to do something. Uh, I hope it's more than that, certainly. But this is, <laughs> this is this is why the aggression we're talking about is necessary, so we don't end up in that particular boat with this team, but. Uh, well, I feel like we could go on about this for, for about three hours. So we should probably uh, save some of this for the rest of the offseason. But, uh, guys, thank you all so much for watching tonight. Really appreciate you. Uh, please like, subscribe. Leave that five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. Check out the community Discord. Check out the channel memberships. Check out the Patreon. All that great stuff. Appreciate everyone who's supporting on there as well. Before we sign out tonight, of course, want to thank Bet Online. Uh, for sponsoring the show. And then, of course, Will McFadden for coming on. He's at Will McFadden, host of Believe in Falcons, contributor over at the Falcoholic. Will, anything that you're working on you'd like to let the people know about? Uh, mailbag coming tomorrow. I need to complete that. But yeah, I've been uh, pleased with the questions so far. So thank you guys so much who have sent any in and please keep them coming. Anything like this is fair game, right? Any off-season draft, free agency, roster, coaches, all that good stuff. Um so that will be coming out on the Falcolic. And then I did just have today published on Believe in Falcons, a mock draft conversation with uh, Joe DeLeon, who also works for Believe. And we both published mock drafts recently. So we just kind of went back and forth talking about some of the names and team pairings that really stood out to each of us. Um, we did talk about Bo Nix, who Joe had going to the Falcons at number eight. 
So if you want to hear a little bit more conversation on that, um, please go check that out. But Kevin, I really appreciate you having me on, man. You're right. We have so much more uh, juicy stuff to dig into throughout the offseason, but there is a lot of time to, to do that. And I look forward to coming on many more times to do so. Absolutely. I, I hope I hope so. We got we got a long offseason and a lot of juicy content to cover. So we'll definitely have many more conversations. Uh, some here, and I imagine someone believe in Falcons as well. So if you guys need yeah. need more Falcons coverage, you know where to go. It's believe in Falcons. So, because uh, you know, some I know some folks they just can't get enough. Like the, the the two to three episodes here, you know, that's not enough. You need you need that extra little piece to get you through, right? Some people uh, have like the three TV screen setups for yep, like yep. that wild card weekend. Nah, mm-hmm. during draft season, you just got different pods going left and right, crunching all that film. Love it. Oh yeah. Yeah, you got the numbers going across. So you're doing the math, and you're listening to three draft shows at once. I mean, this is, you know, I know I know some of you guys are true sickos, so you probably got that kind of setup going. And I respect it. You know, I had no slander yeah. intended. So, uh, you hear that, yeah. Aaron Freeman? He's slandering <laughs> you. Yeah, but yeah, the big slander towards Aaron Freeman, definitely. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, guys, thanks so much for joining us. I'm Kevin Knight, Falcoholic. Kevin, uh, we will have a salary cap uh, episode coming later this week. I know I teased that last week, but I. You know, did a little bit more research looking at some potential uh, re-signings and things like that to give you a little bit better number of what I think they'll actually be working with, like for outside free agents. So that should be coming out Friday. And then uh, we will have, I think, my pre-combine mock draft early next week. So uh, look for that as well. And then, of course, NFL Combine late next week. I feel like it just came out of nowhere. Uh, And then after that, it'll be free agency. It's just like it's 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 coming (laughs) fast and furious. It's it's too you know. the off season is in full swing, uh, and we're we're about to get into a very eventful 2024 for the Falcons, uh, I believe. So hopefully it'll be good events, not bad events. Uh, but with this team, you never really know. So, guys, thank you so much <laughs> for myself and for Will. Have a great night, folks. Thanks again for joining us. We will see you next time on the Falcoholic Live and Dirty Birds and Brews. Have a great night, folks. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.